0: to the Discover Church podcast. It is our prayer that what you hear today is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Hey Discover, Pastor Ben here. Just want to let you know we had some issues with our broadcast on Sunday, so parts of the sermon were missing. We typically take the sermon and we just kind of cut it down for to be part of a podcast, but we've missed some significant parts of the sermon, so I'm just going to fill in the gaps for you. Lucky you. So We kicked off a study, kind of like flipped our love that last study that we've been in for the past three weeks. We kind of flipped it into a study of Song of Solomon as we wrap up this study over the next couple weeks as we talk about the gospel invading our relationships. And this week we kind of opened up with this idea that there is one choice that I believe is the biggest choice that you'll have to make in life apart from deciding to follow Jesus Christ. And that is how you're going to pick the person that you want to knit your soul together with for eternity. And just so you know, deciding to live single your whole life is a noble and honorable, and Paul says, preferred way and preferred decision to live your life. So deciding to be single is a perfectly valid choice. But if you do decide that you want to knit your soul with another human being, how are we supposed to decide who that person is? is because it is a cosmic decision. And our world tells us that the best way to decide who I want to knit my soul together with is to be a 90-day fiancé with somebody I haven't even met or date 12 women at one time and eliminate every week one every week with a rose. But that's not what the Bible says. And again, this is too weighty of a decision because the truth is God doesn't let us choose what we're going to face in life. God doesn't let us choose whether or not we're going to have... An, an illness that's going to require medication the rest of our life. God doesn't let us choose whether or not it's going to be hard for us to get pregnant or even to lose a child. God doesn't let us choose what we're going to face in life, but God does let us choose who we're going to face those things with. So we need to choose wisely. And I don't have to stretch here. I can just tell you, Malika and I, Uh, We've been married for 17 years. uh, This summer will be 17 years for us. And while it hasn't been perfect, I mean, we're human beings, it has been blessed. And I believe our marriage has been blessed because we've chosen to live the way that God asks us to live. If you want an example of what a marriage looks like when it doesn't choose wisely, see, I, I believe because I chose wisely, I get to wake up every day and know that I'm waking up next to my best friend and every day of my life is going to be blessed. But if you don't choose wisely, you don't have to go far to hear a story from somebody who didn't choose wisely and instead of being a blessing their, their whole every day of their life, it's been a curse. And so we're gonna be looking at Song of Solomon. It's basically love poetry. It's eight chapters of love poetry. And you're gonna see, uh, you're, you're gonna be introduced to a young man, a young woman woman who are in love And they're expressing that love through kind of poetry form. So I'm just going to start here in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. In other words, this is like Solomon's greatest hits. Now it says, She's talking. She says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So praise the Lord, say la hallelujah. What's happening here in this moment, this this is not offense, defense. This is not a, a man pursuing her and she's playing hard to get or anything like that. She's initiating but she's letting him pursue her. She's saying, let him kiss me. It's just kind of a a beautiful thing here. It's it's just really interesting to look at. But it says, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Now, so what's happening here is when she says you're your, your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. This is not essential oil. She's not talking about thieves oils, which besides the only oil that you need is bacon fat, son. This is anointing oil. This is a purified oil. And I don't really care who you are. Uh, you know, you pay your taxes. You, you recycle. Nobody's name is purified. You are not that pure. My name is not that pure. And what this is about is not bad people trying to do good things, it's about dead people who are being made alive. And the only way I know how to purify my name is to take my sin and heap it on the shoulders of Jesus Christ and let Jesus pay for my sin and redeem me by his grace. That is the only way that I know how to be made pure. I don't care who you are or where you've been or what you've done, the only way to do that is to heap that sin on Jesus. In fact, the only reason that I can think of to get married is that you sat down and you discovered that we could truly serve God better together than we can alone. That's what you've decided and that's the only reason why I could think to get married. So how do you make the choice of who you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. Now, again, in the first week, we talked about when you're single, you're single for devotion to Jesus. And when you date, what that is is you date to evaluate. You're not dating to get in a super possessive relationship that looks good on Instagram. You're dating to evaluate whether or not this person is a good spouse. And some of us as parents are getting our kids in relationships way before their hearts are ready, and they're just living their lives with broken hearts. So if they're not ready to get married, honestly, they're not ready to date. That might sound old fashioned, but here I am. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So the number one thing you need to ask and maybe even ask yourself is do they seek God first? Do they seek God first? Now there are moments in your life. Now, if you're journaling this and you go and look back, ask yourself the question, right now, what am I seeking more than anything? And ask yourself the question, when you're evaluating somebody, do they seek God first? Because this is a promise that Jesus has made you that doesn't just stop at relationships. If you seek God first in your relationships, all these things will be added to you and that needs to be the number one deciding factor. Honestly, it does. And you might ask yourself the question, how do I know that they're seeking God first? How many times have you been alone with this person, had conversations with this person? If you've had five conversations with this person and spiritualness and Jesus and church and the Bible hasn't come up, then there's a good idea maybe that this whole idea of following Jesus is not a huge priority to them. Are they seeking God first? Now think about your own relationships. When I'm talking with people, apart from knowing how I spend my time on Sunday, do they really know that I'm seeking the kingdom of God first? Number two, if you're taking notes, is their reputation godly? Again, it says, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oiled, poured out, therefore virgins love you. Again, his reputation precedes him. A great choice for you would be somebody who has a godly reputation. Now listen, we've all been there before with friends who are just a little too excited. Maybe they're new in town. And so they're walking down Main Street. They come up and they bump into you and be like, you'll never believe what happened to me today. I was walking down Main Street and this guy pops out at Outdoor 76. We bump into each other. And oh my gosh, he started talking at me and I started talking at him. He gave me his number and then we texted each other. And five minutes later, we're having coffee at Crabtree's. He invited me on a date on Friday night and I am so excited freaking out. You're like, well I'm excited for you, girl. What's his name? And she goes, Oh my gosh, his name is and she says his name and you're like, ooh, good. You've not been in town very long. And listen, I don't have to, you know, don't just talk to me. Talk to her about it. And her about it. And her about it and her about it and her about it and her about it. And her about she'll tell you a story over there. In fact, there's a whole life group at Discover Church is just made up of women that dated that guy. He's a serial dater and I'm sorry, you know, we've been there before. You know what it's like to, to know when somebody's reputation precedes them. Do you, do, you know, did you do your prerequisite Facebook stalking? Did you do those things? You know, you would know that this guy is a serial dater. And listen, some, some men and women of Discover, listen, I got to ask you this question. What is your reputation? What is your reputation? Because men of Discover, you're not looking for a girlfriend, you're looking for a wife. And I think all of us need to stop and think about, is my reputation a sweet fragrance? And listen, there are some things in your life that you can't defend. You know, there's been some things against my reputation in the past. And listen, when I gave God my life, I gave him my reputation as well. But you have to stop and think. Of what kind of what kind of name am I making for myself? Does he have that kind of reputation? Verse four, she, she says, "Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers." Now, listen. Her reaction to the fact that this is a godly man with a great reputation is, "Son, let's go to your bedroom." And let me just tell you, what happens here is God does not come down from heaven and go, it's bad that you feel that way. Stop it. But what you should know is nothing physical happens until chapter 3, until after they're married. So to feel that way about somebody for the right reasons is natural. And what God is asking us to do is wait until marriage, until we experience those things, because it's a gift that he meant for married people. So that's what's happening here. And so you see, it says, Others, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly, do they love you? So how do you make this incredibly important cosmic decision? Number one, you're supposed to ask, do they seek God first? Number two, is their reputation godly? And number three, if you're taking notes, is do my family and friends approve? Listen, if the the people who have been closest to you over the past year or so, who know you more than anybody, if they don't approve of the person that you're dating, that should be a red flag. That should be a red flag. And I know it's a pain, but nobody loves you more than your mom or dad. Nobody nobody knows you or loves you more than them. So ask yourself the question, would they approve? Listen, and if the only way you're able to date this guy or this girl is when no one else is around, you need to end it. If you feel like other people knowing about this relationship would be a bad thing, then it should actually be over. My prayer for you is that you can be the kind of person with whom your significant others, friends, family, the people around them, that they're obsessed with you just as much as they are. Why? Because they love this person when they're with you. They love what comes out of them when they're around you. You bring out the best version of their friend, their son, or their daughter. And the more they're with you, the better they are. And so for selfish reasons, they're taking you aside and saying, would you just marry them already? Be that kind of person. Now, verses 5 through 7, she's talking a little bit about herself here. We're going to talk about that more next week. But she says this. She says in verse 5, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? What she's basically doing is asking him out. Where do you hang out? Let's hang out there together. So girls, don't be afraid to ask that guy out. Ask homie J. Slice Money out. Make him pay too. And verse 8, it says, this is him talking. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pastor your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. Again, she's, he's just saying, yes, I'll go out with you. Verse nine, I compare you, my love, be careful here. To a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, and let me just help you guys out before you go home and go, baby, you look just like a horse. Let me just tell you what, especially where your nostrils are flaring, your eyes just got real big at me. Listen, slow down, sea biscuit. Here's what's happening here. This is again. What, Solomon loves horses. And Pharaoh had the best horses, and one of those horses was this mare that was, ex- was white, it was pure, it was gorgeous. It basically represented Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh was going anywhere, the mare would ride ahead, and when you'd see in the procession, the first thing leading it was this gorgeous, white, spotless horse, you would know that this is Pharaoh's processional. Pharaoh's coming to town. And he's saying that this is the most prized possession, that you are just like that. You are the most prized. So if you're taking notes, the fourth fourth thing that you should ask is, do they value me? And no matter what season you're in in life, you should be asking yourself the question, do I allow what God says about me to define me? Do I value me? Because you're not going to find that value in another person. Don't think, man, I need to find somebody else who, who values me. Therefore, I'll value me and they'll make my life worth living. Listen, you need to find that value from your heavenly father. But most importantly, if you're about to date somebody or if you're in a relationship, let me just point this out. I know it's late to point this out, but it's never too late to do these things. It's never too late to do these things. If you're married right now and your marriage is holding on by a thread it's not too late to do these things it's not too late to value each other it's not too late to 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 have a godly reputation start pouring more word and more time into god's word it is never too late to do these things but do they value me listen one of the almost cliches that has become a thing that we all know and so it's become the uncommon has become common to us is, is when it says, husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. When Paul says that, we're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Same old, same old. But to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to gave himself up for her. Listen, what that means is that the, the, there should be nothing more valuable to you apart from Jesus Christ than your wife. Nothing more valuable. So the question is, does she feel valued? Does she know that? Does she, is she, is, does she feel more valuable than your friends? Does she feel more valuable than your money? Does she feel more valuable than your job? Does she feel more valuable than your hobby? Does she know that? Does she? Because listen, you can replace all those things, but there's only one her. And I'm still trying to master this myself. But my wife should never feel like she's competing against anything else in my world. And just a pro tip to men, just because you feel it in here, you need to say it. Feeling it in here is not enough. If I were to talk to some of you guys and be like, does your wife feel valued? You'd be like, shoot, yeah, I pay the bills and I do all the weeding, right? That's not the same thing. Does she know? Have you said it? Have you expressed it? Because it's because Jesus says it. Jesus says it. I love the way Solomon says it here. He says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Listen, you've got to declare these words, these things that you feel. Jesus says it's out of the overflow of your heart that the mouth Speaks, and I hope and I pray that you are speaking life into your spouse and to your, your relationship. And men, I really hope that you are not criticizing your wife. And God help you if you are criticizing her physically. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue." And some of you, your marriage is dead because you killed it with your mouth. That's that's all you've done. You are killing their soul with your words. God has placed you in their life to be the loudest voice echoing what God has already said about them. Then when I sit down with Malika, I could just say, listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well because that's what God has poured into her. Your spouse will will be exactly what you tell them to be. You have the power to speak life into their life this week. And listen, some homework for you this week. We did this a few years ago and it, it, I don't know what happened, but nine months later we were doing tons of baby dedications. But so I want you guys, whether you're dating or whether you're married, I want you to write a love letter to each other. And I don't want you just to write down that you love them. I want you to write down why you love them. Listen, and if you're single in here, I want you to be reading the love letter that God has written over you because it's gorgeous. It is amazing. And I I love what what, what it says here. It says, um, others, it says, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. And so look, I don't know what this love letter is gonna look like. You just gotta write it before Sunday, write it before breakfast, write it before lunch. And listen, I want you to, bejewel this thing. I want you to get the glue gun out. I want you to get some glitter glue. I want you to get some feathers. I was going to take a picture of mine this morning that I made a few years ago and show it to you guys, but it's explicit so I decided not to do that. But it's got it got feathers all around it and it's, you know, do that thing. Mine is taped to the back of our bedroom door. And it's time for me to refresh that thing, right? And so that's what I want you to do. I want you to write a love letter to one another, and be creative about it, all right? Spend some time on it, because here's the thing. If you decide to live the rest of your life single, if you're single right now in this moment, I can tell you, you ever wonder why the sunset looks so gorgeous when it's setting or when it's rising? You ever wonder why the beach even exists, why it's filled with sand? You know the, the, the question, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's in around, does it make a sound? You you know why it's so unbelievably gorgeous when you walk through these mountains? It's because God loves you. There's literally no other reason why those things need to exist. If the sun's job is just to heat and cool the earth, why does it have to look so dang awesome? And the reason is because God has written a love letter over you and he's not wasted any expense. He's gone full blown. He created that beach for your enjoyment. And our desire is to know God live for his purposes and to fully enjoy what God has put on this earth for us. And he's put that for you. It is a beautiful love letter. So I don't care who you are, it's time to write this love letter. Who are in this room? If you would describe yourself as a good person, maybe you describe yourself as a bad person. Maybe you're married, you're single, you're divorced, you're widowed. Maybe you're blessed. Maybe right now you're feeling a little broken. Maybe you're set free. Maybe right now in these moments, you feel addicted to something. I don't care who you are, God has written a love letter over you. It's in his word. In Zephaniah, God calls you the apple of his eye. It's hard to imagine or believe, but God delights in us. Because of his son, the Bible says that God is thrilled with us because he's thrilled with Jesus. And listen, I'm the best husband that I can be, not when I'm living under six great rules of great husbands, but when I understand what God has done for me, when I understand the gospel. The Bible tells us that, in fact, the only reason that we love is because God first loved us, because he loves me. My soul now has a purpose. I really have a life that is truly life and I have dignity and purpose that didn't come when I married Malika. I had dignity and purpose far before that and now my relationship doesn't consist of what I can get from Malika, it's what I get from my savior, Jesus Christ. And we get to pour over through the overflow of that to each other. And listen, God's gonna finish what he started and I'm a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come and he is not gonna hold my sins against me or your your sin against you when your your soul rests in him because he loves you. God is so big that he's working in all things to bring about the good of those who are called according to your purpose. He's he's blessing your comings and your goings. And his word says that he has plans for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. And nothing can separate his love for you, height, death, nakedness, famine, angels, demons, swords. Nothing can separate his love for us. So why are we gonna waste another second of our life without making the most important decision that we could ever make, and that's to give our lives to the one who created us. They are held in his hands. Every aspect of our life, even our relationships. The Bible says, Paul says, it's a profound mystery, but when Genesis talks about how a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and they will become one flesh, he says the mystery is that it's talking about God and the church that when Jesus talks about us, he talks about his bride. He is pursuing us as a groom on their wedding day. Jesus loves you that much. And when, I, when, when Malika and I are together, listen, I believe that we are creating an environment where love never stops. And that's exactly what God has called us to create. When our love stops, I don't try to figure out what's wrong with Malika, I try to find the kink in my hose. Because my hose is plugged to a perfect source, and that is Jesus Christ. That is a source that our world needs to know. And my hope and my prayer is that you're hearing the voice of your Savior for the very first time. And he's calling out to you and saying, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I don't just simply want to forgive your sins. I want to impute to you righteousness. I want to fill your bank account with every good deed that Jesus has ever done. And I want a relationship with you. I want to pay the debts that you could not pay so that I could have a relationship with you as your heavenly father. I've written a love note over your life. The Bible says that if you agree with God that what he did on on that cross 2,000 years ago when he died for your sins and died so that the power of sin would be released over your life, that if you believe that, that he rose from the grave three days later, that not only will you have a place to spend with him in eternity, but you could have a life that is truly life right now that doesn't come when you meet the right person, that comes when you give your life to your heavenly father. The Bible says that you don't need to pass some test, that God's not waiting as we leave to eliminate one of us with a rose. That's not how this thing goes down, that you can come to him as you are. And he's not gonna take, try to take the broken mess of your life and try to mesh it together and make it make sense. He's gonna throw it out and start a brand new creation during our next service we've got nine people who are getting baptized and of those nine people yes praise the Lord listen what this looks like what baptism looks like is when somebody's died buried and raised to life in Jesus Christ you are dead you are being born again the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ so if that's you I want to lift you up in prayer father right now I pray for those whether in this room or watching online who right now in this moment are saying, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I realize that the way I've been living my life is not the way I wanna live it. It's not leading me to joy. And they're gonna turn from those things and turn to you. They're gonna believe that what you did on that cross was for them, that they are forgiven. They're gonna begin a relationship with you, Lord, that you will be faithful to finish. Lord, I pray that tomorrow when they fail, they won't run from you, God. They'll run to you as their father, that you'll pick them up, dust them off, and they will get back on this plan that you have called them to, Lord. We thank you so much for you as we live life with each other, Lord. I pray that no matter where we are on this journey, that we'll seek you first, that we'll surrender our reputation to you, that no matter what space that we walk into, Lord, that we'll bring the light into that space. Lord, we thank you so much that you are patient with us, you are long with us on this journey. And I pray right now for those lives that are being saved, that as you make your permanent residence here on earth their life, or that they would become ambassadors, highest ranking officials from foreign lands, that you would make us your people. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we give God some glory this morning? That was good.